Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Cloud Architects. You're here today with Nicholas Bank and Chris Goosen. Hello. Today we have the pleasure of interviewing Philip Griffiths. Philip and I met at an industry event, and he works for a really interesting company doing really interesting things. And I asked him if he wouldn't mind coming onto the show to explain what he does and what his technology is all about. And he was very kind to give us the, the time of day to do so. So, Philip, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Likewise, looking forward to the chat. Philip, do you mind telling us what is it that you do and who do you do it for? Yeah, sure. So I work for a company called NetFoundry. Um, we are a few years old uh, enterprise uh, that was an internal innovation within Tata Communications. Uh, we're looking to change how the world connects uh, applications. Myself personally, I, I was our number one employee in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And my responsibility is to build up partnerships uh, with uh, you know cloud vendors and uh, partners that we can sell through so that we can really change the world, how, uh, how the world connects applications. All right. And NetFoundry, tell us about them. Yeah, so NetFoundry is, it's a cool little tool that basically gives you zero trust cloud connectivity that will turn ordinary public internet into a secure and performant enterprise class network uh, by enhancing it with topics around zero trust, software defined perimeters and, and effectively manipulating the internet so it's not best effort. Uh, this effectively enables you to extend permissionless innovation into networking in the same way that cloud does for applications uh, so that people can innovate uh, much more and quicker really taking away the hassles that we've traditionally seen around networks and security so effectively so, you mentioning sorry chris uh, no, effectively no, it's uh sd when <laughs> great question uh no, very distinct difference. Um, so mentioned earlier, we were an internal incubation within Tata Communications. Tata Communications has several SD-WAN products uh, based upon Viptela, Versa, and another one they built internally. SD-WAN is very much coming from the perspective of, here's a piece of hardware, stick it in my branch. How can I increase the performance of my applications and reduce the cost of doing it? With NetFoundry, we're coming from a different perspective of, now I'm able to deliver everything as software and APIs. How can I integrate it directly into my applications, whether it's on the cloud or an ecosystem or IoT, uh, potentially directly into the application in the CI/CD pipeline in order to take away the hassles of, of network and security, uh, whether it's around driving more innovation, you know, delivering very simple um, uh, zero trust architecture, or reducing um, costs for the business and driving further agility. And a key distinction that unlike SD-WAN, 
you know, we don't work over MPLS. We're using the internet because that is the next generation WAN. I mean, I think, you know, so one of the challenges we see with, with cloud deployments today is that network part, right? And, and so, you know, on this show in particular, we've talked about networking, network readiness, all of that kind of stuff pretty extensively in the past. Um, it's, a, it's an important topic and it's an interesting topic for us because, um, you know, people get very caught up in the end product. And, and so, you know, very, very many customers and businesses are looking at Office 365 and they go, well, how do we get my email? or my documents or my whatever into the into Microsoft's service um, and then completely forget the fact that you have to now traverse the internet uh, or some sort of network to get there, right? So how do we break down essentially um, uh, what your company does and what uh, you know NetBoundary does um, to something that the average IT pro can understand and how it kind of impacts their day-to-day -day life and the, and the things that they're kind of concerned about today? Yeah, and, and let's take um, uh, Nicholas's previous question of, uh, so you're just an SD-WAN. You know, if you look to deploy an SD-WAN, if you deploy in under six months, everyone's high-fiving. Um, with NetFoundry, we had a, a partner who was moving some customers to the cloud. He, working with them, connected seven AWS data center regions in under two hours. Uh, another customer we were working for who are cloud native on Azure, they we went from a first conversation to doing architecture designs and uh, proof of value and then moving them to production and signing commercials in under three weeks. So it's it's around taking away that traditional challenge that you have. You know, if you go to, to uh, you know, Microsoft or AWS or one of the other major public clouds and say, how do I connect? So they're gonna say, you've got two options. You either do a VPN over the internet or you get an express route direct connect, whatever that MPLS option is. Uh, both of them have these disadvantages. We provide that third way that you can have the flexibility and the instant on capability of the internet, but the security and reliability that you expect from a private connection. Basically the benefits of private networks without the disbenefits. Okay. I mean, and, and you're saying you're doing this quickly, right? Which I think is, you know, there's the third benefit there or the third value add to, to it. Yeah, correct. I mean, we, we talk around um, uh, four main value adds. One is one is the agility, one is the security, the other is performance and reliability. And then, f you know, fourth of all, it's the simplicity. Because we're, we're a SaaS platform, we've abstracted away the complexity. So you can say, I want to connect this application in this public cloud to this other, you know, these end users. And you don't have to deploy the infrastructure. You don't have to deploy the, the controllers uh, and all of the, the stuff in the middle. It just gets deployed for you. It's self-healed for you. It's maintained for you. Uh, so that anyone can do it, you know, it's, it's for developers by developers. And, and I guess that's kind of where the whole sort of network as a service slogan comes from, right? Yeah, correct. Um, I, I like to think of it as a complete infrastructure as code, which incorporates your north-south network, where you could use Terraform or something like that in order to, to orchestrate the, the, the network. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm, I have an upcoming um, event with a, a partner who, who does cloud native on, on public cloud, and that's, that's exactly our catch line, how to do complete infrastructure as code and cloud native, you know, including the network and immutable infrastructure. Okay, so um, you mentioned Azure when we Azure, sorry, <laughs> Azure, Azure yeah. for the American for the American audience, um, uh, just a second ago there. So, so I mean, how does how does this all integrate with with Azure and with Microsoft's uh, cloud services there? Yes, good question. So we're a gold technology partner with Microsoft. Um, 
we the initial relationship began um, a couple of years ago and you know we got in their marketplace and we worked on a few opportunities together and said you know this is pretty cool technology so we we started working out where where we could work more um one of those areas they they said hey we're, we're launching a project called azure virtual wan um would you be interested in 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 being part of it uh, they they this was in fact inspire last year um in 2018 uh, and they said to us you know it might be a bit of a challenge because it's you know the the timelines in only a month um, we got the development done work in um, two weeks because you know we're 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 API first. We're we're incredibly easy to work. That for us integrating into it was was really no problem, uh, and therefore we were one of the first six launch partners for the product offering Azure Virtual WAN. Um, and essentially, Azure Virtual WAN gives you that that capability to abstract away the complexity of connecting branches into Microsoft Azure. Um, so that you can have very quick connectivity into your VNet and in addition to look at how you can utilize the Microsoft backbone um, to traverse your traffic between VNets um, and your, your end users consuming those applications. Um, today that's focused on the branch but they do have roadmap items for taking it down to the end users and clients which is very interesting uh, and essentially you know, we provide that ability to to on-ramp onto that offering uh, where you can orchestrate that from your Microsoft portal uh, and it, you know have API conversations into our console in order to facilitate it. Uh, we provide that in, in two versions. One which is you know, the basic version where it's basically an IPsec tunnel into the Azure VBAN gateway uh, and you know that's kind of what all of the other providers give. Uh, the differentiation is that you know, we have an incredibly easy and quick to use console, so you can really do it in minutes instead of hours. Uh, and also we're software only, so we can deploy onto anything, um, you know, any virtual machine, whether it's a server or, or, or a white box. Um, and then we have an enhanced version where we're able to bring in our, our core uh, value add, like zero trust connectivity, performance optimization of the internet before you hit the Microsoft um, uh, data center uh, and the ability to connect uh, any device, whether it's IoT gateways or laptops, mobile phones into it, uh, or potentially, God forbid, um, you know, other workloads which are hosted on a cloud somewhere else. And you know, a alongside that, you know, we've been working with Microsoft to look at how else can we support them. Um, you know, we we're looking at doing Office 365 optimization because they have the same thing. They don't want to hairpin their customers through through private networks or internet breakout. They want them to just go straight to the internet to the closest um, CDN or or node that's hosting your Office 365 documents. Um, so we're doing an API integration to be able to enable that. Uh, you know, we've deployed onto Azure Stack. We're working on uh, IoT topics. We're working on some other products where you know we can integrate Azure Virtual WAN uh, and take away those traditional challenges we see around internet-based connectivity. That, I mean, that that sounds comprehensive, right? It really, really does. It's, I mean, it kind of sounds like you guys have covered it from from so many angles. So, so that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's the key. Like, you know, there, there what we do um there there are point solutions that do part of what we do whether it's you know deploy a zero trust network or improve the performance of of the internet or how to do overlay networks with software and apis but pulling it all together so you can connect the whole enterprise and all of their use cases with one single approach you know that that's where we really differentiate and and, and make it really simple for anyone to do because they don't have to manually construct it themselves 
Okay, I think I think Nick might have had a question there that he was uh, going to jump in. Just just checking that he's still awake too. <laughs> yeah, the, the camera doesn't lie. <laughs> Although who, whoever's listening to this in their cars, hoping that I haven't fa fallen asleep, you are saying that you're doing some pretty global things in terms of connectivity. But doesn't that mean that you as a vendor need to have your own global network in order to provide this kind of optimization? Yeah, that is correct. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great question where uh, people always ask that so that they say, well, so you must have some sort of um, SDN, software defined network, you, you know, where do I hit your node in order to to improve the internet? Well, we actually don't have our own physical SDN, we have a virtual SDN, we've deployed that over the public internet in a mixture of public and private clouds. Um, including Azure, which enables us effectively to manipulate the internet um, so that we can find the most performant paths and dynamically route around traffic and do performance optimization on top of it, um, as well as bringing in the, the security topics of, you know, being able to do uh, zero trust and software defined perimeters, uh, you know, obfuscating traffic so you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going to, and, you know, being able to connect with only outbound ports. So, you know, when I talk to a partner um, and they say, well, how do I proof of value? I say, well, just open some outbound. And they say, I don't need inbound. It's like, yeah, they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, no problem with just opening outbound. Uh, you know, that enables us to, to do all of that. And the key thing is that because we have, you know, the industry leading automation orchestration layer, you don't have to worry about that complexity. You don't have to say, well, I'll have a transfer node here and a session controller here and a network controller over there. You just say, I want to connect this to this and it, it all gets maintained and built for you. Um, and because we're doing it on the public internet as a middle mile, you, you know, it's not, you don't have to have, you know, that transfer node uh, as close to the person as possible. So you're only traversing a little bit of the internet. Uh, you know, we just sit somewhere in the middle and are able to manipulate it wholly. Uh, and in fact, do a lot of performance optimization and security just directly from the edge. Uh, so that it's a, a, a much simpler and easy way to deploy for customers. We mentioned Azure and we mentioned AWS. And lately, we're having a lot of conversation with the customers who are saying they want to go multi-cloud. And mm. traditionally, that would have meant that you take some direct connect from Amazon, you take some express route from Microsoft, and then you bolt that down somewhere in a physical medium in some kind of a meet me room or shared data center. So are you saying that if we want to go multi-cloud and have the benefit of multiple vendors backbones and the technology that we don't need that anymore? Uh, potentially, I mean, MPLS is only going to deliver you uh, the performance improvement and, and SLA guarantees that they give you. You've got MPLS in every single endpoint. So wherever you've got the applications in the VNet or the VPC or whatever the, the technology nomenclature is, uh, as well as all of the users and the branches, you know, if someone's just sitting in a coffee shop, tough luck, you're going over the internet. Um, by using NetFoundry, you know, we only need three things, uh, the outbound ports, any internet, mobile, satellite, you know, um, cellular, and the ability to, to run our software. Um, that enables us to, to 
seamlessly connect into any cloud anywhere just over their existing internet connection potentially do it with with no public ips so again you you, know, you add more security on top of it and be able to to ensure that all of their users regardless of where they are are able to have um, secure and performant access to their applications okay so so let's let's talk about um, I guess use cases for this for a second here. So, um, is this something? I mean, we mentioned we talked about APIs and and things like that. Is this something for developers building custom or bespoke apps on the cloud, or is this something mm. that we can use with any of the you know with Office three six five for example, or any of the the commercially available cloud services? That's a really good question, um, and so I've got multiple answers to it. <laughs> Um, yes, to the first part, um, we, we work with a lot of ISV companies where we look at, well, how can I integrate my SDK into your C++ or Golang application so that when you deploy it, you don't have to, to deploy your own VPN, you don't have to deploy static routes, you don't have to deploy perimeter firewalls, private APNs, etc. They're just able to deploy their application, do customer proof of values, uh, and, and scale out to production incredibly quickly. Uh, at the same time as that, um, you know, we're working with with um, Microsoft at the moment to look at well, how could this be deployed very seamlessly with people deploying applications themselves. And to to the other question, you get into this distinction of um, uh, private SaaS and and uh, and public SaaS. Um, you know, we were built primarily as a private SaaS tool. So, you know, being able to deploy directly into the, the IaaS environment of, of the VNet to the VPC. Um, but we do have ways to be able to work with uh, public SaaS. Uh, you know, you have essentially like a, a, a cloud gateway which sits close to where that application is being consumed from. Um, and, you know, discovery of that is done via DNS. Um, you know, this is how we're, we're, we're looking at integrating into some of the, the past solutions which are provided by, you know, for example, Microsoft um, and, and how we've, we've done an integration into AWS Cloud Endure where, you know, by being able to see where those routes are coming from. Um, you know, as we move forward and, you know, whether it's us or a different technology provider, I mean, today we have no competitors in what we do, but I'm sure we will soon. Uh, there, there will be full integrations into those public SaaS providers as well, because it's uh, you know it, it gives you a very seamless way to remove the implementation challenge you would normally have of how do I get this application to I mean what is it eight billion users that we now have in the globe mm -hmm. you know you'd literally have to build so much infrastructure everywhere that you can remove a lot of those challenges. Okay, yeah, I think I mean I guess that makes sense as well. So this is you know it's. Uh, especially for, for those customers who are looking to, to extend their data center, if you will, or, um, you know, extend their on-premises, get rid of their on-premises footprint and start moving towards cloud-hosted data centers, infrastructure as a service type scenarios. Um, this is a really good way of looking at the connectivity between those branch offices and, and, and uh, you know, I guess, data centers. So I can see that. That makes, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Well, and from our perspective, it's it's put your applications mm -hmm. anywhere. You know, the the, the drivers behind why we were created is you know uh, high agility, high portability, and high distribution. Um, and uh, internet distributed applications are 
are highly relevant to to IoT and being able to connect those gateways. But also, if, if I stick an Azure stack somewhere, you know, most of the time that's because it's it's in somewhere that doesn't have predictable mm -hmm. connectivity. Mm, that's right. Um, and therefore, you know, regardless whether you're doing hybrid, multi-cloud, or IoT, or or in fact, I was talking to one one um, uh, partner today, in fact, um, around you know building ecosystems where you've got you know a, a complex supply chain, let's say of um, um, life cycle of food where someone produces it you need to you need to be able to validate um, some some identity around that food so as it goes through the supply chain into the end user you're able to to make it more efficient uh, and bring in things like blockchain technology of, of how, how do i validate as i go through that um that it's you know not being tampered with uh, and and that's really where Again, we come in and provide a unique distinction that you can't do with an SD-WAN mm. because mm. we're able to connect absolutely anything within that supply chain. We're able to to remove a lot of the challenges you would normally have, but we're also able to interact with with the blockchain and to to take away the challenges of the blockchain of how do I ensure that immutable transactions are being made without having a, a high computational mm. overhead. Um, because I'm able to validate, I can trust this person making the input because they've got some sort of, you know, HSM, root of trust, secure operating environment, which I'm validating via the network to communicate into the other uh, participants. Yeah, Nick knows everything, knows all about um, uh, unreliable network sources and uh, network conditions where he is. Uh, I think that's a, a daily struggle for those folks down there in uh, the bottom tip of <laughs> Africa. Yeah, and it's, it's actually it's, it's really funny because, uh, you know, when, when, when I started with NetFoundry, um, you know, my, my, my European mindset, I, I, I automatically thought, well, I should focus on, on the major European economies because that, that's where the, the major footprints are. Uh, but funnily enough, you know, a few months into it, I, I started seeing, actually, I'm going to get a lot of traction across Middle East and Africa. Uh, and, and correspondingly, one of my colleagues in Asia got a lot of traction as well because, you know, Internet can be so poor uh, and private networks can be so heinously expensive to connect to the cloud environments. Uh, you know, you've got high latency, you've got those high costs, you've got the high deployment pipelines that it, it became nonsensical for, for us to to you know help them through those pains. Yeah. All right. So as an IT pro, we've mentioned a, a bunch of things and one of them which we actually haven't defined is uh, Azure Virtual WAN. Do you mind just unpacking that for us? And then as part two, what is the value add that you bring to Azure SD-WAN? Yeah, so Azure SD-WAN gives you the capability to connect your end branches directly into your Microsoft hosted applications in the VNet with the simplicity that you would expect from uh, Microsoft Azure Public Cloud, abstracting away the complexity so that anyone can connect their applications. You know, you don't need to be, you know, CLI network engineer, you know, doing those complex tasks. Um, and then to be able to benefit from all of the the advanced capabilities that they're building into it, such as utilizing their backbone um, for connecting your applications instead of you know having to build your own. So, for example, you know we're having a conversation with with Microsoft and one of their customers of, well, I've got some end users in South Africa. How can I connect via the 
the data center in South Africa or the data centers in South Africa to my uh, applications which are hosted in Northern Europe uh, yeah. because they've also got sites in Switzerland and then they've mm -hmm. also got sites in the UAE. So you're able to basically use that backbone with the, the local branches just connecting into the local data center and then going to those applications in the VNet. So yeah. they can, they can, you know, uh, move to a new way of working and and use cloud economics instead of you know five years fixed line cost static that you would traditionally get from from a private network. Um, with NetFoundry, it is then um, enabling it that that cloud on ramp and the ability to connect into the Azure Virtual WAN offering. You know because you 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 can't just get it from Microsoft. You need to work with one of their providers, whether it's us or one of the other providers. And you know they've been announcing more and more recently because they mm -hmm. see more traction around it. Um, but then our differentiation is that we're able to bring in you know the ability to do it as software only, the ability to embed it onto any Microsoft thing, whether it's the Azure Stack or or the Azure IoT or you know all of those other components, mobiles, laptops, etc., and bring in the other topics of zero trust and software-defined perimeters and performance improvement of of, of your internet before you you hit Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Philip, we've been talking a lot about technology, but let's talk about you for a second, if, if you don't mind. So what we like to do on the show is we like to unpack the people a little bit so that yep. our listeners who want to be in the position of the, the folks that we're interviewing have an idea of how did you get to do what you're doing? How does um, one start this kind of a career? And we've, we've interviewed journalists and evangelists and lots of, of very interesting people for different vendors, be that the Microsoft or, or VMware or otherwise. So you are working for a, a global vendor and I believe your, your position is that you are a product manager. Is that correct? Partner manager. Partner manager, for, forgive me. So tell us about that and what uh, what is the career on-ramp to, to get to do what you do and what kind of skills does someone need? <laughs> Uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, when, 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 when I graduated, I, it was in a, a history degree and I had no idea what I wanted to do. From uh, history to technology. That's quite a stretch. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, I, at A levels, I did some, some more technical A levels and, and physics and maths. So I was always interested in technology, but I, mm -hmm. I enjoyed history most. Um, but I, I, I just applied to graduate programs and I ended up getting employed by Atos IT Services um, as a project manager. And I, I went through the, the process of, you know, junior project management to project management to program management um, and then actually partner management. But one of the things I always, there was, there was two things I distinguished very early in my career. One, to be a good partner manager, I had to become very effective at managing my time and people. Um, because a lot of people around me, you know, you're fighting fires the whole time. You could work all day long and still not get your job done. The second was that because I was running teams of technical people who would look to me for the decisions, I had to be able to understand what they were talking about and actually make decisions that I understood um, because it had big impacts. So mm -hmm. I, I, I went through the process of, you know, teaching myself lots of different technologies, reading books um, and learning as much as I could to to. Uh, at least feel I was competent enough to have conversa conversations with them on it. Uh, and that actually led to an interesting time where I was, uh, you know, running a program in, in Switzerland for, for a large organization. And um, for some reason, we, we 
I didn't have enough support from a from a solution manager, so I, I ended up doing some solution management myself. Uh, and I feel like you know, one of the, it's one of the core things if you work in technology, you need to have an understanding of, of mm. actually what you're doing. Even even if it's just mm. sales, and technically nowadays I do do a sales role, um, because it means you can sit down and talk to them and really understand what is their problem, how can I solve it, what's the impact on, on their business bottom line. Um, yeah. you know, because if you just have your value pitch, as soon as someone asks you a question, you go well talk to my solution architect and if your solution architect isn't there tough you know you've left the room with nothing happening um so then i you know i i, I just happened to progress into to partner management because i was a uh, uh, i was part of a talent program so we were looking at how how does philip you know develop in his career and right. uh, you know on the upwards path uh, and that was in iot it was really interesting um and then uh, I was actually, I was meant to move to the US to take a role there to continue, you know, doing diverse different things. Um, and out of the blue, I was uh, contacted by someone uh, asking about a job. Um, I said, I'm, I'm not really interested, but then they said it was for NetFoundry. And at the time I was building a partnership with them in the IoT practice. And I was like, I actually, yeah, as much as I have at the time, zero interest in networks and security, uh, I think it's the future. Uh, and I think it will give me a, a really interesting way to develop my skills in a new way because mm. I love learning. I love being a generalist. Um, so I started doing it and I threw myself head into to understanding more around networks and security and reading books on zero trust. And, you know, so over time you, you build up that knowledge. And I, I think that's one of the key things. Like if, if you if you want to do interesting things, you have to both have a passion for it. My, my wife always tells me I've become a big nerd now. Nothing wrong with uh, that. And, and really, <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> you should see my laptop, yeah. loads of stickers on it. <laughs> uh and also you know want to learn and mm. to to put yourself in con you know conversations where you're not necessarily comfortable but over time you build it uh and and that helps you to to i think both keep the passion but also to developing new and interesting ways i think one of the key it's interesting actually, that uh, sorry, Chris, say, I think one ahead. of the key sort of things or takeaways for me from what you've just said or described was the constant learning right i think we're like yes. when you work in the technical side of technology you you're used to that right you know and, and and we yes it's accelerated a lot like back in the day you'd learn a new product every three or four years now it's you know every three or four weeks you're struggling to kind of keep up with everything but there's this constant learning yes whereas if you look at um you know folks in in some of the more traditional um i guess industries or career spaces you know when they leave college university they're done like that's it you know what I mean? Unless you're unless you're an accountant like, and you completely. need to, you know, my brother my brother is yeah. a is an accountant, uh, and I know you know every now and then there's a refresher on the accounting law or whatnot, but um, it's not yes. this, it's not quite the same. And 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 I feel like this whole this this movement essentially of continuous learning is 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 very important. Fully agree. And in fact, uh, you know, it's one of the things I noticed when I started in, in a graduate program. Uh, I was with some other graduates who, who I felt had the opinion of, oh, I'm done. You know, oh, yes. see you later. And now I've got a career for 30 years. And I was like, it has just mm -hmm. begun. No one cares about what happened now. You know, this is the start of it. Uh, and it actually, I, I, I do think, you know, this is where um, things like this podcast have a major role to place, uh, a, a place to to help. You know, I, I, I listen to, to your podcast, I listen to some other technical podcasts, 
Um, I also listen to some non-technical ones on you know TED Talks and, and other interesting topics. But where where you have some downtime, you're on the train, you're driving somewhere, you know, you're able to 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 absorb something and push your boundary and 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 learn new ways and and understandings. Um, because as you say, it's every month there's there's things that are changing you know literally if you took five years out of it mm. it's uh, the landscape is completely different it's difficult mm. and it'd be difficult to to come back uh, there's a there's a segment of the 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 technical population in our industry which looks at the large vendors and it doesn't really matter who you pick on so i'm, I'm just going to pick on microsoft because they've had a lot of the bad press around Microsoft is taking away my job because, mm -hmm. and you know, this, this goes back to, um, uh, all the way back to Ford doing initial automation that, uh, automation is, is, uh, taking someone's job. And to be fair, it is, and it's up to the professional to do something about it for themselves and not hope that the industry is going to preserve the role or to preserve their, their job or their job role. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit there because I, I really agree with what you're saying. It is the responsibility of the person to keep themselves relevant. Um, at the end of the day, um, automation is happening. It will happen and it will create more jobs. At the same time, we have got to such an advanced state that we are automating jobs that we are best at. You know, it's not just brawn anymore. We're we're automating away our intelligence, and this is where there becomes a major role for for government to to help people to retrain and industry to pull that together. Because, you know, there there, there could be, uh, you know, there's a lot of promise in in AI and and automation and everything we're doing at the moment. Um, but there's also the potential for things to go wrong if we don't help. Um, you know, the less capable of retraining themselves. You know, I, I feel I'm very lucky to have been brought up in a way that I do have the self-discipline to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's obviously others we have to help who, who may not have that self-discipline uh, more structurally. Again, it, I, I, if you couldn't tell, I'm from the UK. Um, and we have a, a very diametric conversation around Thatcher. Some people love her, some people hate her. I'm, I'm not going to give my opinions, but one thing I didn't agree with was when she broke the strikes in, in the 1980s. Um, actually, I, I think that was good, but her whole approach afterwards of not helping the, the miners to retrain and, and find ways to, to build new industries, that was the wrong approach. We, you know, we cannot do that again. If we did that to retail and other sectors which are being transformed, it would be terrible for society. You know, we need to find a way that everyone can have value and, and um, you know, retrain themselves. I love that. Love that approach. Bit of a hist history lesson <laughs> packed in today's episode. Yeah, oh, too. I, I did say I did a degree. Hey, don't, don't, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'm a bit of a history nerd myself and I'm a, you know, a big fan of uh, history and, and using the past to kind of, you know, learning from the past yes. to kind of, you know, help guide uh, the decisions you make in the future, right? So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. So we're getting up to the uh, the top of the episode. Philip, at this time, we normally give our guests the opportunity to plug something that they want to plug. So this can be something personal. This could be something corporate. This could be your Twitter account, your LinkedIn account, your company website, your own blog, anything that you feel you'd like to share. 
Yeah, so I'm 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 on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it, it tends to be you know a handle similar to to my name. So you know something you know at uh, the, the the P Griffiths on Twitter or, or similar on on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, if, if anyone's looking to to look at how they can do permissionless innovation uh, and bring it to networking, uh, I, I would love to have a chat with them. Uh, there's, I'm sure you guys are the same. There's nothing better than getting a whiteboard out and and drawing things and uh, having fun on on how we can yeah. change the world. So I, I'd be happy to have conversations with anyone on it. That's stunning. Excellent. So thank you so much for your time, and uh, we appreciate the the chat as well as being able to to go off topic a little bit and, and even go down <laughs> the historical. End. So thank you very much. Awesome. Likewise. Thanks thank for the you. time, guys. Hey everyone, before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.